Welcome to the Fantasy Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host once again, James, and I'm joined once again by Nate. What's up, man? So uh, today we have a big show. We're going to talk about the conference championship weekend in the NFL, uh, what happened with the games there. Uh, we're also going to dive into some fantasy quarterback awards for this season, as well as your usual NBA and NHL pickups for the week, and also some injury um just injury analysis for all the different leagues. Um, starting with the NFL recap, let's just dive right into the conference championship. The first game of the weekend, uh, Sunday afternoon, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Green Bay Packers. And this was a big game featuring two veteran quarterbacks, two solid teams overall. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ended up taking this game by a score of 31 to 26. Uh, this game featured uh a lot of interceptions. It featured a lot of touchdowns. It was just a really exciting game to watch. Uh, diving into the stats, um, we'll start with the Buccaneers. Tom Brady threw for 280 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. Leonard Fournette rushed 12 times for 55 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And Chris Godwin caught five passes for 110 yards through the air. Mike Evans, three catches for 51 yards and a touchdown. Scotty Miller, two catches for 36 yards and a touchdown, as well as Cameron Bray adding three catches for 19 yards and a score as well. Um, Nate, let me, just give me your thoughts on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what they did right in this game. Uh, it looks like they basically just did pretty much everything right. Like, uh, Tom Brady was on, everybody was on, and like the the defense, Green Bay defense did what they could, but like you can't you you can't really stop Tampa Bay. They just have too many weapons. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to agree with that. They didn't even have Antonio Brown in this game, and that was not a concern because Scotty Miller went deep for that touchdown just before halftime. Um, and then just diving into some of the stats from the Green Bay Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers had a stellar game. He threw for 346 yards, three touchdowns, and just one interception. Uh, Aaron Jones uh, rushed for six times on the ground for 27 yards. He did get injured in this game. So Jamal Williams came in and rushed seven times for only 23 yards. Um, and then through the air, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, four catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. Devontae Adams, nine catches, 67 yards and a touchdown. And Alan Lazard adding 62 yards uh, on three receptions. And uh, Bob Tunyon, four catches, 22 yards and a touchdown. And um, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, what Green Bay could have done better in this game to, you know, come away with the victory. Um. It's pretty hard to say. Um, it feels like they kind of did everything they could. I think maybe if they could have improved their run game a little bit more, but it was just like a five-point game, so it was like really close. So, Yeah, that's one thing too is that I believe Tampa Bay coming into this game had the number one run defense. So I think it's understandable the way they performed on the ground against Tampa Bay. But I think also, yeah, just some of the, the calls made, I know it looked like a, a decent call, you know, just taking a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down, you know, to try and get the touchdown, but then it ended up backfiring in the end because they couldn't get the ball back. So that's yeah. another thing as well. Like maybe the coaching 
uh, could have been a bit different. I know Aaron Rodgers was under pressure a lot through this game. Uh, uh, it just seemed like, I, I think it was like over 20 QB pressures that Rodgers faced in this game compared to like under 10 that Brady faced. So it's just one of those games where Tampa Bay just played an overall better all around game. And I guess they just came out on top. Um, yeah. I don't know any other thoughts on this game. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like it's Aaron Rodgers didn't play bad. It's just that Tampa, Tampa Bay was like really good. So it's not Aaron Rodgers fault at all. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers had one of the best seasons that he's had in his career this year. He should be the front runner for the MVP um, when the voting is said and done. And then just looking at uh, a lot of the stats here. Yeah, it seems like the Green Bay did get stuff done. They just couldn't finish when it mattered. I know there was a couple times where, you know, they you thought they would get a touchdown and then they just settled for a field goal or, or whatever it was. But it, it just seemed like on this defense, they couldn't finish enough in the end zone. And I guess it just ended up costing them in this game. And yeah, congratulations to Tampa Bay. I know that um, I did have them going to the Super Bowl in my prediction. I'm pretty happy about that. So uh, we'll see how they do Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, moving to the second game on Sunday slate. It was the evening game. It was the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City coming up on top by a score of 38 to 24. And this game really started out well for Buffalo, but... Um, the moment Kansas city just flipped that switch, they just took off and there was no one that was going to stop them. And um, just looking at some of the stats, Patrick Mahomes, 325 yards through the air, three passing touchdowns, uh, Daryl Williams, three rushes, 13 rushes for 52 yards and a rushing touchdown, as well as Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, six carries for seven yards and a touchdown. Then McCole Hardman had that 50 yard run. He, it was his only carry of the game for 50 yards. And then through the air, Tyreek Hill, nine catches for 172 yards. Travis Kelsey, 13 catches for 118 yards and two touchdowns, as well as McCole Hardman catching two balls for four yards and a touchdown. Notably, Hardman did have that fumble that led to the Bills' first touchdown, but it looks like he ended up turning it around, adding that touchdown. And, and I just want to get your thoughts on this Kansas City offense. Eric? they're way too hard to stop honestly like the bills aren't bad at defense at all but like Tyreek Hill like he's you just can't guard him Kelsey I think he's the best tight end in the league right now I think he got two touchdowns so yeah he did yeah I don't and like Mahomes looked like he was healthy he didn't it didn't look like he took the a big hit last week either I think they were mentioning something about either an ankle or a toe injury, but I didn't see anything like the way he was moving around in the pocket as well. I was just like, okay, there's no way he has any type of injury. That concussion thing might've been preca precautionary. Cause you know how, like when someone takes a hit, they're not, they're not feeling themselves, you know, it's just a precaution yeah. that he had to go through. But in the end, I think he was, he was pretty close to a hundred percent. So I think it's going to be a good Super Bowl. We'll get to see two teams that are pretty close to a hundred percent. Um, uh, that is if Antonio Brown is back for the Bucks. But uh, yeah, just looking at this Kansas City team, they have just so many weapons. Um, Watkins is probably going to be back for the Super Bowl, I assume. So they're looking even more powerful than they were in this game. And it, it's just an exciting thing to watch. Um, just moving over to Buffalo on the score sheet, 
Um, Josh Allen threw for 287 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, he also rushed seven times for 88 yards on the ground. And then through the air, Cole Beasley caught seven passes for 88 yards. Stefan Diggs, six catches for 77 yards. And Dawson Knox, six catches for 42 yards and a touchdown with Isaiah McKenzie adding a touchdown reception as well for six yards. And um, I mean, Buffalo, they had a good start. Um, their defense really helped put them in, in a good position, but then uh, they just couldn't keep up with the scoring pace from Kansas City. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Bills and, and what they could have done better in this game? Well, I felt like they shouldn't have taken the field goal as well. I think this is another case of uh, they should have went for it, even though it was looking really bleak. Mm-hmm. And because like there was just not enough time to get a stop on the Kansas City especially the way that they were play, uh, playing and they were, they were hoping for some kind of like defensive miracle and it just didn't happen. Yeah. There was one notable drive that they had where they went for it the first time. I think it was like fourth and three or something. They went for it and they got it. Then they were like, there was another fourth down and then they just decided to kick the field goal. And I was like, you just got a fourth down conversion. Your team is on a roll right now. And then you're just going to pull the offense off the field and then just get a a field goal. You know, I was just kind of, I was surprised by that. And then, you know, the momentum was already swinging in Kansas city's favor and they just took off with it. So, I mean, um, coming into this game, like both of us were pretty much taking Kansas city, assuming Patrick Mahomes was healthy. And we just knew that they, they'd most likely blow the doors off this Buffalo team. And they did. And um, Kansas city looks pretty unstoppable. Um, Like the bucks are really going to have a lot of problems stopping this offense. I know Aaron Aaron Rodgers does have a good offense, but with the amount of weapons that this uh, Patrick Mahomes led offense has, it just seems like, um, you can't cover everyone. I don't know. Do you have any idea how they probably cover this team? Honestly, I'm not sure. It's funny because like the Browns so far in the playoffs, they've done the best and they still lost by one score. Yeah. Well, I mean, Patrick Mahomes did miss part of the game, but yeah, I get what you're saying. The Browns did have a, a a solid defense and they did. One thing I noticed is they were able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I think that's what the Bucs need to focus on doing because it seems like Buffalo couldn't generate enough pressure and the pressure they did generate, um, Mahomes was still able to find open receivers because what they did was when they rushed, uh, when they focused on rushing the passer, they they left more of the, the field open in the secondary and then Mahomes was able to find either Tyreek or Travis Kelsey like pretty wide open. So it's one of those things where... It, if you overpressure them, then you're vulnerable in the back end. But if, if you cover them well, then Mahomes can either make rooms with his legs. We've seen Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rush. I mean, if Le'Veon Bell plays, he'll be rushing. So, you know, they just have so many weapons. It's hard to stop all of them. I think the difference is, like, for the Browns defense, they have, like, Miles Garrett, and he's just, like, all – every team is like scared, so scared of him that they try to put all their guys just to stop one, just stop one man. I don't and think he's he guardable one-on-one. That's one thing I noticed about him. It's tough to guard him one-on-one. So you, you yeah. kind of have to allocate more blockers towards him. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Sometimes a tight end will have to come in and help out in terms of the blocking. So um, let's yeah. see. I know they have a lot of talented pass rushers on Tampa Bay, um, Shaq Barrett, um, JPP, 
um Nadama can sue like the the list goes on and they they have guys so we'll see what they can do they really put a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers this week I know um David Bakatari the the guard for Rodgers he was missing so that was one thing that really hurt the Green Bay Packers and if Fisher is going to be missing uh I believe he's the the guard for the Kansas City Chiefs if if that injury is really serious I think it was an Achilles injury he got that could really uh, hurt their pass protection and uh, Tampa Bay might find a way to get some pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I think if they can um, get one of their pass rushers to draw to people trying to block them, that's going to create a lot of opportunities for putting some pressure on him. Yeah. What I did notice is JPP was a really dominant force for the box this week. I believe he had like two or three sacks on Aaron Rodgers this week. Like he, he had a really good game. And if he can get that kind of pressure on Patrick Mahomes, he just seems to be able to quickly swallow up the quarterback. So um, it's, it's just one of those things. Uh, their coverage also needs to be good. I noticed that um, Devontae Adams was able to get away. Sometimes also Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a big game for the Packers as well. So I think Tampa Bay's coverage will be a need, will need to be a little bit better uh, if they really want to uh, rush the passer because uh, we know Mahomes can sling the ball unlike yeah. anyone that we've seen. So. Yeah. yeah, against like the Chiefs' offense is basically like pick your poison, try to do damage control, because like you can't <laughs> stop these guys one on one. So it's here's like, the okay. thing though is that I think Buffalo should have tried to stop the deep plays because they were trying to take away the the middle of the field, but Mahomes just burned them on the deep plays. Like you see, McCole Hardman went for like a fifty yard run. How did that happen, right? Tyreek went for like a 70 yard gain or something like it was crazy. Um, like honestly to beat the chiefs, you got to limit them to like under 20 yard passes and then try and break those up. So if you don't give them that, that deep top half of the field and you just limit them to like 20 yards or less and try and keep all the receivers in there, there's a chance that you might be able to contain them and Buffalo didn't do a good job of that. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said, it's like, you have to pick your poison against the Chiefs. Like, do you want to? Do you? I'd rather want to get short yardage. slower, fast. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather give up the, the, the short yardage. I mean, imagine getting beat on seventy, like fifty to seventy yards at a time. Like, <laughs> that—that's the worst way to get beat. Your defense looks like porous. It looks like it's full of holes that way. I mean, if you're allowing like 10 or 20 yards every time, that's the thing is you might be able to get get a stop here or there. But if they're connecting on deep balls can't do anything about that yeah i think that like that way at least you could like force them to take more field goals and then that'll keep mahomes off the field more yeah that's another thing too is if there's if there's one time they can't convert then they're stuck taking the field goal but those big gains it puts them in the red zone you know right away yeah <laughs> so yeah that's one of those things and um just looking at both the eliminated teams now um just uh, maybe a player or two that, that might leave in the offseason um, as part of these offenses. I'll start with Green Bay. I know everyone's been talking about Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, some of his comments that he's made, but we'll get to that. I'll start with Aaron Jones. I, I believe he's a free agent this summer. And with the emergence of uh, A.J. Dillon and also Jamal Williams playing well in a passing down kind of role for the Packers as uh, running back, I think it makes Aaron Jones expendable for them. They can save a lot of cap by getting rid of him and just keeping both Dylan and Williams as both of them have shown to be competent running backs. 
Um, I just want your opinion on that and what you think about Aaron Jones. I know he had that key fumble and then he ended up getting hurt. Uh, uh, he had a good fantasy season. What are your thoughts on him? I think that um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. I think that um, if they let go of Aaron Jones, it would kind of make sense. Depends on the cap space as well. Uh, I don't know how how big his contract is looking, and uh, the Packers have enough weapons on offense that they could probably manage without him. Yeah, one thing that I'm thinking is if they're going to pursue like another wide receiver, a guy like Will Fuller in the offseason, maybe like an Allen Robinson, they need the cap for that. And if they sign Jones to this extended Lucreus deal or, or whatever he's looking for, it's going to be tough for them to bring someone in. Because I think the most important thing that needs to be is, is for the Packers to keep Aaron Rodgers. He's the one that you don't want to lose in all of this. So if you lose Aaron Jones, but you go out and you get like a, let's just say a Will Fuller, because he's the name that's been uh, churning in the, the Packers rumor mill. So let's just say Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, stays, um, Aaron Jones leaves, and you get a guy like Will Fuller. I think that Rodgers would be a lot happier with that. I know um, he's had some trouble in terms of finding his receivers open. Um, Lazard had a good game last week. Um, Valdez Scanling had a pretty good game this past week. Um, and then he has Devonte Adams, but I think he's just, he just needs that more number two wide receiver. I, I feel like that Lazard is sort of like that slot guy. And then, um, Valdez Scanling's more of that, like, like three wide receiver, four wide receiver set kind of guy where you just put him out there. If you, if you want like a deep shot, like those two aren't really reliable for like every down, like the way Devonte Adams is. So if you bring in a guy like Will Fuller to be that sort of that number two wide receiver, I think that that, that would be better for this Packers team. And I think that Aaron Rodgers um, might reconsider any thoughts of him, you know, leaving this team. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, this Packers offense in total? Um, I'm wondering what, wondering what you think about um, trying to get, um, I guess, more uh, pass protectors. I know you said uh, one of them was out, but I was thinking um, if, if, should they um, still look to kind of upgrade their linemen? I'm not sure what the contract situations for their linemen are. I know two of them were pro bowlers this year. One of them was uh, Bakatari, and he was the one that was hurt. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what the, the contract situation is for them, but um, – I know Rogers got a lot more protection than he did in most years. And I think if he, all of his protection uh, prote protectors were healthy uh, in this playoff game, I think that the results could have been different. Um, it's just very, it's really tough to say. I, I know that was one of the issues he's had for years and he he's definitely in, in it a lot better this past season, but uh, it's just one of those things that against a team like Tampa Bay, you can't have any of your, your main offensive linemen injured because Tampa Bay will just penetrate your offensive line. If it's a backup guy in there, you know, and it's, it's really tough to say, I think for, for that, but um, yeah. And if Aaron Rodgers leaves, I don't know what they do at quarterback. I don't know how ready Jordan love is. I know they drafted him last year. Um, people said that Aaron wasn't happy about that. I mean, that's another, that's another discussion, but, um, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, I mean, th there'd be so many teams <laughs> signing up for this guy, especially if he wins MVP at the end of this year. So, um, yeah. And then in terms of their tight end position, I think Bob Tunyon in his, uh, 
like I don't know whether it's, it might be his rookie year or it, it just might be his breakout year. But yeah, he had a fantastic year. Uh, he was, just missed the Pro Bowl. Um, he had a key touchdown in this game as well this past weekend. So I think he should be safe as their tight end going forward. But um, yeah, so I, I just looked at at the running backs and I was like, I, I think Aaron Jones might be on his way out. Um, any other thoughts about this offense? Um, I think, well, there's a lot of expectations on Green Bay, I think, for this offseason um, because they're they're used to performing well every season. So mm-hmm. I think without Aaron Aaron Rodgers, I don't think they'll be able to perform at the same level. So I think the most important thing for them is to make sure that they can uh, kind of keep him in Green Bay. Yeah, they definitely got to get him some help there on the offense, I, I think. And in terms of their defense, their run defense was a problem this year. Um, it was like bottom five in the league or something like it was really bad. Uh, they, they really need to do something about that. Their pass defense was pretty good overall. Even in this past game, I know it was tough. Uh, Kevin King had a really bad day. He got roasted on Twitter and so on. But yeah, yeah I, I believe he allowed three touchdowns in his coverage and so on and it was just uh it was just a bad day overall for him uh i know they have some pro bowlers on defense uh Zedarius smith jair alexander and and so on but uh, i think just overall you know maybe a, a few pieces uh, here and there they just need to tweak and i think that they can make another run as long as they have aaron Rodgers staying yeah i think so as well all right, moving on to the Buffalo Bills. And I looked at their offense, and, and they seem to be a team that's more on, on the rise. Um, uh, just looking at a, at a couple of their pieces, uh, one piece that they could lose in the offseason, uh, depending on what they want to do, is John Brown. Um, just the emergence of Stefan Diggs this year as the number one receiver and John Brown not really having as much contribution. Um, I know Cole Beasley had a fantastic season playing out of the slot. Gabriel Davis emerged this year as a, as a good receiver. And then guys like Isaiah McKenzie, then Dawson Knox at tight end. Then you got the two running backs, both Zach Moss. And I, I believe that they will keep Devin Singletary after this season. I know that was kind of in doubt when they drafted Moss, but Singletary looked a lot better near the end of the season. So I think they'll roll with those two running backs. And I just see John Brown as sort of the guy in that offense that they, they might part ways with. I don't know whether you think about uh, him or, or anyone else in this offense. Um, I think it's possible. Um, I was wondering on your thoughts about Isaiah McKenzie. Um, he had, he didn't really have the best game, I think last game. So I was wondering if you thought they'd still hold on to him or not. Here's the thing about Isaiah McKenzie. I assume that Gabriel Davis would have a bigger role in this game than McKenzie did, but it was McKenzie that had that one catch in the end zone for the touchdown. Uh, I'm not sure why he was out there on that play. I, I assumed it would have been John Brown, but uh, they ended up having McKenzie out there. So if they're, if they're giving him snaps over John Brown, then I think that he might actually have a decent role for this team. I believe he's also in their special teams. So I think that might, because that, that might be a safe way for him to to stay in the lineup. I think that, um, like, I don't know what happened here with, with Gabriel Davis. Um, he had three targets, but he didn't get any catches. So um, I guess it was it was just an off day for him. 
Um, but I think Isaiah McKenzie, as long as he remains in the special teams, I think his roster spot should be safe for this team. Yeah. I was also wondering um, what you think about, I guess, do you think Josh Allen needs uh, better pass protectors as well? Because I know he was getting sacked for a lot and he was getting pressured a lot last game. Okay, so here's one thing about Josh Allen that I've noticed over the season. He's had good pass protection, but when he does get, like, let's just say a safety blitz, like I know Tyran Matthew really came for him this past game. He tends to not roll out and throw the ball away. He tends to run backwards and try and make a play with his legs, and that's really hurting him. It's not the pass protection. Of course, some pass rushers are going to get through once in a while, but you have to know what to do with the ball when that happens. And he... Like it, it happened in, in the Baltimore game. It happened in the Indianapolis game. It happened like in the Kansas City game. It's just happening too often. He's got to know what to do with the ball when he's under pressure. And um, I don't believe he was pressured enough in the first two games, which is why the Bills came out on top. But in the Kansas City game, when the pressure came, the line did a pretty good job of holding him. But when one or two guys got through, Allen didn't know what to do. And as a as a as an efficient quarterback in the league, you need to learn how to roll out and throw the ball away. All the the good quarterbacks know how to do that. Aaron Rodgers does it all the time. Patrick Mahomes does it all the time. Um, guys like Wilson, Brady, others. You know they they know you roll out, you throw the ball away if there's no one open. You don't keep running away further and further back. And it's it's just one of those things about Josh Allen that he's got to improve on. I've noticed that like because he's mobile, he likes to kind of use his mobility but I feel like it's kind of I don't know I don't want to say like it holds back like the running backs but it's like your running backs can do the running you don't have to run yourself the whole time yeah they they really need to work on their run game as a whole because if if the offense uh, puts a spot a QB spy on Josh Allen it's gonna have a tough time running the ball especially a, a good QB spy, like a, a middle linebacker, someone like Darius Leonard or, or Frank Warner, some of the best guys in the league, um, they, they'll be able to shut him down and keep him from running. And I mean, Kansas City did a good job with that, especially a lot of their, their defensive linemen. They really kept Josh Allen in check in this game and, and there wasn't a lot he could do. And, and of course, their run game hasn't been the best. I mean, with Zach Moss being injured, obviously. But yeah, just going forward, they need to, add more of a run game into this offense for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the Buffalo bills? Um, well, I think even though this was, I guess, kind of a disappointment for bills fans, this has, this was their first playoff game in like how many years it was like 20 years, I think. So I think this is just like kind of like the start for the Bills and hopefully next year we'll see how far they go. Yeah, I think it was their, what was it, their first division win? What was it in 20 years? And then I think they've only been to the playoffs like three times in the last 20 years, something like that. It's yeah. been a long time for this team. Yeah, and um, I guess it's kind of hard to pinpoint who might lead this offense because I feel like this offense is still growing. Um they might want to grow with the pieces they have instead of, you know, trying to pick apart this offense to see who they might want to replace at this point. I think adding Stefan Diggs was one of the bigger moves that they did and then ended up paying off. So um, we'll see what they do in this offseason. Maybe upgrading the running back position if they get a chance. If there's a free agent, maybe like an Aaron Jones they want to sign if they have the cap space kind of thing, you know. I know Aaron Jones will be a free agent. There'll be a few other guys on the market. 
So um, I don't know whether Le'Veon Bell might even be on the market, like just some other guys just to consider, you know, the Bills might want to bring in sort of like uh, kickstart that run run offense or whatever. But yeah, uh, I think the Bills are headed in the right direction. So I guess we'll we'll just see what happens with them moving forward. Yeah, they're a pretty young team. So I think just coaching, if anything, like uh, I guess kind of show Josh Allen how to roll out and throw the ball away better pretty much and so let the running backs do most of the running for him yeah i think i can agree with that yeah. all right um moving on um we'll now transition to the the fantasy awards uh this year and uh we'll, we'll be talking about uh, quarterback awards this year for fantasy all right, welcome to the Fantasy Quarterback Awards. Um, we're going to be handing out a total of six awards for fantasy to quarterbacks this season. Uh, we'll be talking about quarterbacks in different categories and some of the stats that they put up, as well as sort of the reason why we picked them for each award. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Nate and our injury analyst, Victoria. What's up, guys? Hi. So. Uh, so let's just dive right into the quarterback awards. Uh, Nate, I'll start with you. The first award we're giving out is the most consistent fantasy quarterback of this season. Um, give us your winner, uh, explain a little bit about it, and then also give us your runner-up for the award and then explain a little bit about it. All right. So the winner of the consistent QB for fantasy, I gave it to Kyler Murray. Um, he's had five games over 30 and he's had 25.8 fantasy points per game this season and he's been under 15 only two times and the runner-up is josh allen uh he basically had double digits every game he had six games over 30 and 25.65 fantasy points per game yeah, I think that both quarterbacks could have won that award. It was pretty close. What was the points per game? Like, how close was it? It was like, what, 0. 0.15 points much. per game difference? Like, it, it was, yeah. like, super close. Uh, so I feel like that it could have gone either way. But um, Kyler Murray did finish a little bit higher in points per game. And uh, he led a lot of teams to the playoffs. So um, if you drafted Kyler Murray, you most likely were a playoff team. Um, going to the um, injury quarterback of the year, um, this is a quarterback who played uh, 10 games or less, and uh, they put up good stats, but they were injured for most of the season. Uh, Victoria, I'll go to you for this one. Who are your uh, injury quarterback of the year? Yeah, so I'm going to name my injury quarterback of the year is Dak Prescott. He was averaging about 27.73 fantasy points per game when obviously he got injured. So his injury occurred in week five during like a run pass option type play where he decided to go for a run and he was going for the first down. He ended up colliding with a player and falling to the ground in this very awkward position. He sustained uh, both a compound fracture and a dislocation of his right ankle. So just a quick uh, summary of what both those are. So a compound fracture fracture is basically an open fracture where your bone is actually sticking out of your skin. Yeah, that was um, nasty. I saw yeah, that. <laughs> and if you actually looked at his ankle, you could see the bone sticking out from where the sock was. Um, and so then a dislocation of the ankle is actually uncommon. Uh, but really what that is, is where your lower leg bone, your tibia, 
separates from the bone that's beneath it on your foot called your talus. Um, and the only way it separates is obviously when there's very much unstable, uh, unstable, um, uncertainty and instability was the word I was looking for uh, between between the ligaments uh, of uh, that surround that joint. Um, and so what we actually saw happen during the run play was his ver his foot did uh, what we call an eversion ankle sprain where it went outward instead of most ankle sprains that go inward. When it went outward, he uh, uh, destroyed all the inside ligaments, his deltoid ligaments. Because of that, it caused such instability in the leg that it caused that dislocation of the ankle and also that compound fracture of the tibia, which we saw where it was kind of sticking out um, on the inside of his foot. Um, so obviously from this, he needed surgery um, and he got the surgery in October, I'm pretty sure. No, hold on, when did this happen? Week five. it was October. Yeah, so he got the I'm surgery in October. Sure, yeah. Obviously, this was a seizing ending injury very early on, which is why we count him as the injury QB of the year, where he was averaging those 27 uh, fantasy points per game. This was okay. So going into the Cowboys, this was very devastating for the Cowboys. And obviously, Andy Dalton got that uh, starting QB's position for the rest of the season. His injury resulted in the Cowboys missing the playoffs, which we saw and having a losing record in his absence. Um, however, Dak Prescott does look to be the future for the Cowboys and his talents are seen by the team. And currently he's in that one year contract, but the team is looking to sign him long-term. So obviously he's a very good quarterback and why he's the injury court devastating quarterback of the year. Uh, moving on to my runner-up, my runner-up was Joe Burrow. So he was averaging about 17.87 fantasy points per game when he got injured. So his injury occurred in week 11. Joe Burrow went down with what uh, an MRI later showed to be both an ACL and an MCL tear. So obviously ACL tear, as we know, is that ligament that kind of holds your tibia on your femur bone and prevents your lower leg bone, your tibia, from going moving anterior, moving in front of that uh, upper femur bone. And then your MCL is the ligament on the inside of your knee that prevents your knee kind of from going inward. Um, Obviously, they didn't confirm the extent of the damage, but he did need surgery. They also mentioned there was a lot of structural damage within that injury. Most likely, there was the terrible triad that occurred. So there was some uh, tear of the uh, meniscus as well. That's what the terrible triad, which is the ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Um, he got surgery for this at the beginning of December. Looking at the severity of this injury, as well as the impact it had on the Bengals when he left, puts him as our injury QB of the year in that runner-up spot. Uh, before his injury, he was had a terrific year, uh, terrific season. He threw for 2,688 yards in those 10 games and 13 touchdowns uh, as well during that time. Yeah, um, that's that's very interesting that he has such a devastating injury. Um, uh, just one note about Prescott is that, um, yeah, apparently he's going to be a free agent this year, whether the Cowboys sign him or not. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. And then for Joe Burrow, um, apparently we don't know whether he'll start the season on time. Yeah, well, because like I said, he had a very devastating injury of an ACL MCL. So ACL in itself takes about six months recovery and he got it in week 11. So that's late in the season. Um, so it's going to put him well into summer. And then also having an MCL at the same time, that's obviously going to delay his recovery even further. We may not see him till a few games into the season, maybe about six games, seven, ga seven weeks in. So six, seven weeks. That might be when we see him. We don't know. Obviously, we're just going to have to see how his rehab um, progresses throughout the summer. How do you think his athleticism is going to look? 
Uh, so here's the thing with a lot of rehabs that people forget is because it's a very focused rehab and very focused on rehabbing that injury, they actually oftentimes come back a lot stronger than they were previously on that leg. So for example, some people who get any kind of knee injury and then they rehab it actually most of the time that's their stronger leg following. So I don't think it's really going to affect him much and he's still really young. So he's probably going to still play at the same level that he was playing. Obviously he's going to have to keep those football skills up. So whether that means sitting in a chair and still making his throws, making sure he's, you know, uh, looking over plays, stuff like that, that will be the determining factor, obviously, in how good he remains. All right. That's interesting to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Moving on to the next award, I'm going to be handing out the waiver wire quarterback of the year. This award is given to a quarterback that was drafted under 50% and was pursued on the waiver wire throughout the season and performed the best. So um, the winner of this award, I'm going to give it to Justin Herbert of the LA chargers. Um, he was under 5% owned after the draft. Um, he was expected to be the backup quarterback for the Chargers until the Tyrod Taylor injury, which we'll get into in a, in a later reward, uh, award, sorry. And um, yeah, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, when he was picked up, I believe it was in week two, from week two until week 16, he just balled out. Um, he had uh, one game of almost 40 points. He only had one game of under 15 points. So he was very consistent as well as a fantasy quarterback. And then um, just looking at his stats, um, he had a 22.13 fantasy points per game. So he did very well. He got a lot of teams into the, into the playoffs. I won a fantasy championship with him as my quarterback. He was fantastic this year. Um, I guess like people were sleeping on him, but as weeks went on, he became 80 and 90% owned. And uh, he's my waiver wire quarterback of the year. Um, for the runner-up, I'm going to have Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, he was about 40% owned, 30 to 40% owned, I believe, going into the season. Um, and then for guys picked up on the waivers, uh, he was actually started most of the season after that. He had a very solid season. Um, he had about 17.61 points per game. I know he dealt with injuries uh, here and there, but uh, he was a very solid add. Uh, he, he put up uh, good efforts against a lot of solid teams as well. And then when Carolina was down, he was consistently throwing the ball. So uh, that's another reason why uh, I picked him as my runner-up for this award. Uh, just two guys that uh, it was sort of a consensus that these two guys were the main guys that were picked up um, throughout this year uh, at the quarterback position for fantasy. Um, and then, uh, Nate, I'm going to move to you uh, for this, the uh, playoff uh, quarterback of the year. Uh, uh, this award's given to the quarterback who played the best from the fantasy playoff weeks, which is weeks 14 to 16. Uh, give us your winner and your runner-up. So the winner for playoff quarterback is Josh Allen. Um, for weeks 14 to 16, he had 29.76 fantasy points per game. And the runner-up is Lamar Jackson with 28.82 fantasy points per game. Uh, I guess just a fun fact, because they both like to run a lot. Um, Josh Allen had eight rushing touchdowns. At the by the end of the playoffs, I think, and Lamar had seven rushing touchdowns and a thousand yards by the end of the playoffs. 
Yeah, they had fantastic seasons. And I guess that's one thing that makes a good fantasy quarterback in, in 2020, 2021. Uh, just being able to use your legs gives you a solid floor for fantasy. Um, you know, when the passing game's not on, when you're not throwing touchdowns, if you have a if you have a solid rushing floor, that makes for an excellent quarterback. And both of these quarterbacks have that. And they, I believe they had three wins to close out the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I know the Ravens went on that winning streak to end the year, and I think the Bills did as well. So yeah, they were just they were fantastic to to end the year. I you could have given it to either one of them. I think I think Josh Allen just had the higher average. Um, and then yeah, I'm, I'm gonna move to you, Victoria, for the next award, the Rookie Quarterback of the Year. Um, give us who you have. Yeah, so the winner for the rookie quarterback of the year is Justin Herbert, someone that James talked about earlier. He averaged about 22.13 uh, fantasy points per game. Um, so just to start off, uh, he got the starting quarterback position because Tyrod Taylor had an injury. Uh, his injury first began in week one during the first Chargers drive against the Bengals. He cracked two of his ribs, which obviously they found out later with an MRI. Um then obviously second week, he had practiced all week, ready to go. They, uh, right before the game, the LA Chargers team doctor uh, went to inject kind of a painkiller into his ribs. So actually what he had to do was the nerves for the ribs that the pain uh, nerves for the ribs uh, lie just underneath the nerves. They lie between your lung and your ribs. There's a little space in between. And what he has to do is kind of do a blind injection between the space of the lungs and the ribs. And he has to inject the needle in there in order to help stop the pain killing. What happened was he got a little too close to the lung and by mistakenly punctured the lung. This can actually happen to any doctor. Um, obviously everyone made a big deal about it, but it can happen to any doctor because of how close the nerve is to that lung. Um, and so because of this puncture lung cannot play, they threw Justin Herbert in um, and he did what he had to do uh, in week two and in front of the defending champions, uh, champions first, Kansas City, and then Tyra Taylor then missed two extra weeks. And within uh, Justin Herbert's uh, first three starts, he averaged 310 yards and scored a total of six touchdowns. And at the, that time, he was rated the 10th highest QB in the league. Uh, Herbert had such great success that he was announced as a starting QB position over Tyrod Taylor, even when Tyrod Taylor was better. Um, the team has now found their future in him. And um, he took them all the way to the playoffs in his rookie year. And so that's why we have to name him as the rookie QB of the year. And then moving on to my runner-up, someone I mentioned in my last uh, section about injury QBs is Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow, before he got injured, was uh, averaging 17.87 fantasy points per game. Um, so he had, like I mentioned, that ACL and MCL tear against the Washington football team in week 11, um, ending his season. But before his injury, he had a terrific throwing season as he threw for 2,688 yards and 13 touchdowns in just 10 games. I mentioned that stat earlier as well. He was on pace to actually break the rookie records for passing yards, which is currently held by Andrew Luck. Um, he also did had such exceptional scores and passing attempts, completions, and fewest interceptions by a rookie as well before he got injured at 10 games he ranked the fourth highest in NFL history for passing yards as a rookie uh, by this he is our obvious runner-up for rookie of the year and is definitely the future of the Cincinnati Bengals um yeah just uh one correction there um 
for for Justin Herbert. It's not the NFL player playoffs. It's the fantasy playoffs because um, the Chargers oh, yes, didn't that's make right. the NFL playoffs. But yeah, he helped most Sorry about that, yeah. teams to make it to the, the fantasy playoffs. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and I agree that uh, Joe Burrow was the second best uh, rookie quarterback this year. Um, mm-hmm. Moving to the quarterback of the year, uh, I'm going to present this award. Um, I could have given it to a few different um quarterbacks um before i give the award i'm gonna start with the runner-up actually have a uh, one runner-up and one honorable mention the honorable mention is going to go to aaron Rodgers. um he had a, an mvp level season i believe that he's going to win the the nfl mvp when they announce the awards um he had a phenomenal season um he was averaging uh uh, around 24 fantasy points per game so he he was phenomenal um it's very consistent as well he had uh, one or two bad games in there but uh, the rest were very solid um he doesn't get mentioned a lot because of a lot of these other quarterbacks having that rushing floor that we talked about so a lot of their totals get inflated by that but uh rogers was an honorable mention for me um, the runner-up i'm going to give it to kyler murray i'm going to give it to him because of how consistent he was uh, even though his play dipped a little bit when he battled with that injury, um, he just continued to put up fantasy points, whether it was with his legs or with his arms. Um, he he won games as well, the most memorable being that uh, Hail Mary win against the Buffalo Bills. Um, and he just proved uh, that uh, even in his second season, he can be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And he, he was the number one uh, fantasy quarterback this year uh, in terms of points per game. But uh, I'm not going to give him the the reward for, for the fantasy quarterback of the year. I'm actually going to give it to Josh Allen. And the reason I'm going to give it to Josh Allen is how well he performed in the clutch situations, namely the, the last three weeks of the season, which is the fantasy playoffs. Um, he had the second best fantasy points per game of the season uh, with a 25.65 points per game, but he had the best in the fantasy playoffs with a 29.76 points per game if you had josh allen on your team and you were in the playoffs there's a good chance that you won the fantasy championship so um i think just overall just taking those two into an into account i think that puts him a little a bit ahead of kyler murray and i think that uh, if you drafted josh allen this year in fantasy you 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 i'm pretty sure you did you did well you probably were in the top three in your league at least if not having won the whole championship so um uh, I believe that Josh Allen is the fantasy quarterback of the year. And I think he will be going among the top five quarterbacks heading into next season. Um, any last thoughts, guys? I'll start with you, Nate. Um, there's been a lot of good QBs. Like I think anybody who is like ranked one to 10 in fantasy this year, they probably, you we probably could have switched them around for, for one of those, for example, Tom Brady had an excellent season. He probably could have gotten an award. Like it was just a really close. I believe um, Tom Brady season. had like 40 touchdowns this year. He had a really good season, especially yeah. for being 43 years old. Um, I was actually impressed with how he played. And um, yeah, I just like, he, he was just a uh, phenomenal um, in, in what he did this season. Um, I, I just want to take a look actually at the top 10 uh, since you, since you mentioned it. Um, in terms of uh, fantasy points, um, in total points, Josh Allen did finish first, but in points per game, it was Kyler Murray. But going from total points, the top 10 would have been Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, then Aaron Rodgers, like I mentioned. You have Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, 
Russell Wilson at six. Ryan Tannehill finished at seven. He had a very solid season. Then you had Tom Brady at eight, Justin Herbert at nine. And then uh, we mentioned Lamar Jackson in playoff quarterbacks. He finished as number 10. So yeah, you're right about the top 10 being very solid this season. It's uh, I wonder what's going to happen next year, honestly. I think that those guys will go one to 10, I think, unless, uh, unless there's a major move in the summer. Well, I was going to say you have to, don't count out the injured ones as well. People like yeah, Joe Dak Burrow. Prescott. Yeah, here's Dak the thing. Prescott. Dak Prescott was leading the league in points per game when he went down. Yeah. So I think, yeah, Dak will get in there. I think people will underrate Tannehill again. He'll drop out of the top 10 in, on draft boards. Yeah, so if obviously Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott are back, those are QBs I wouldn't count out as well in the top 10. Yeah, um, and then you're you're taking out guys like Rivers, Breeze. Uh, Big Ben, if Big Ben plays, uh, he's going to fall in draft boards. He might be a value pick for next year, depending on what the Steelers offense looks like. Cause he had a solid season. Um, you know, he, um, obviously he, he sat out for some games, but um, he finished with the, uh, the, what, what was it? The, what is this? Yeah. I think the top 12 he, he was to top 15. So yeah, he played pretty well. He can still play. I don't know why people are so low on him. Yeah, it's it's just because of his age. Like people underestimated Brady. I think Brady was drafted outside the top twelve quarterbacks for in some leagues. Aaron Rodgers too. Like I was surprised how low some of these guys went. Like people are taking Cam Newton over Aaron Rodgers. Well, I think Tom Brady <laughs> is the point of the fact that he was playing for a new team, the Buccaneers. They didn't know if he was going to still perform at that ability that he was performing for the Patriots like for example nobody would have thought that he's going to be going to the Super Bowl uh in a couple weeks so stuff like that yeah and then I think it depends also guys like Matt Ryan might be on a new team Matthew Stafford might be on a new team mm-hmm. um like you just have guys Cam Newton might be on a new team um Jared Goff might be on a new team whether he's a starter anymore or not we have to see um Carson Wentz we don't know what's going to happen with him he's been a solid quarterback over the past couple years just this year he had a rough year Mm -hmm. but yeah the quarterback landscape like you said Nate is looking good going forward um Victoria any last thoughts no (laughs) all right so uh that's the end of our quarterback awards hopefully uh you enjoyed the awards that we handed out hopefully it was insightful uh into uh what quarterbacks you should be looking into next season for fantasy as well And now we'll move into the NBA portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. All right. Welcome to the basketball portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm your host once again, James, and I'm joined by Nate again. What's up, man? So Uh, let's just jump into some pickups this week for fantasy in the NBA. Um, Just give me a few players that you're looking at uh, picking up uh, and also players you're recommending to others to look at picking up, whether it's shallow or deep league. Sure. So most of my picks, uh, I think this week are deep. I've got like a couple of shallow ones though. So I'll start off with, um, Xavier Tillman. Um, he is a deep pick 6% rostered. Um, the Grizzlies, they're just coming out of, they had a lot of postponed games. So that's part of the reason why people haven't been picking him up, I think, Mm -hmm. but he has the potential to, put up some decent stats for you um right now he's 
averaging 8.6 points, 3.9 rebounds, and 1.6 assists. So I think that as long as the Grizzlies schedule holds up, um, Xavier will add some value, especially if you need a power forward. And my next pick is Royce O'Neal. Um, he's no, only 19% rostered. Um, I think we'll see probably by the end of the week, but I think that he he's a deep pick for sure, but like he could actually be in some shallow leagues as well, depending on his performance. Um, he's ba- He's a starter, so he gets like over... 20, over like 30 minutes most games and his field goal is over 50% almost every game he his free throws are pretty decent but he doesn't go to the line all the time so that's like not really one of the stats that you're gonna be going to him for um, for threes he gets like one to three threes a game so that's pretty decent for small forward power forward Oh, yeah, and he has small forward and power forward eligibility. So if, you, if you're if you down a small forward or a power forward, you could probably put him in and he can do both for you. Um, his He was coming off a really good game. He was on, on fire his last game. He had 20.6 rebounds. And the schedule for his team is pretty good. Um. I think right now he's averaging 7.9 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 2.2 assists. So I think, I feel like he has the potential to probably do even better. So I think if you see him see him on the waiver, uh, he's worth giving a look. And next I'll go with um, Monte Morris. So... He's another he's uh he's a deep pick, but I think some shallow leagues you you could probably take a look at him as well. Um he's mostly like kind of uh a pick that if you have a lot of scorers on your team but you need other categories, he can help you out with that. Um he gets like assists and some rebounds. Most of his uh value is like for assists. So if you really need assists, you wanna pick him up. Um, he's averaging 11.5 points, 2.4 rebounds, and 3.2 assists. And he gets at least like one three a game. And he's getting over 20 minutes a game, most most games. So if you need, uh, I guess, a point guard or a shooting guard off the bench, you could probably give him a look as well. And my last pick is going to be Jamichael Green. Um, he's another uh, deep pick, and if you need someone off the bench in a shallow league, you have somebody who's injured, you should probably take a look at him as well. Um, he's a good uh, rebounder, so if you're if you find like your your team is always like behind in rebounds by a little bit too much for your liking, then you should probably take a look at him. He's Averaging 11.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. His minutes are decent. He gets one to three threes a game. Uh, 
the only thing is his field his field goal percentage is kind of streaky but if you have a lot of consistent scorers that have high field goal they should be able to offset that so um yeah if you need rebounds and you're not too worried about field goal percentage you could take a look at him all right that sounds good um i just have uh some pickups as well they're more shallow league pickups so i know you stretched more into the deep end of pickups but for anyone looking for shallow pickups i'll start with reggie jackson and i believe he's only owned in 16 percent of leagues and the reason i'm saying he's a shallow pickup is because of the whole covid situation that's happening with the clippers Kawhi leonard and paul george being out um reggie jackson the first uh, two games that he got over 20 minutes uh he was averaging about uh 16 points per game uh, he averaged about four rebounds and uh, four assists as well, um, as well as in his most recent game, he had two steals and one block. So he's covering the full stat line, almost perfect from the free throw line. Uh, he's shooting a 50% field goal, so he's not going to hurt you there. And uh, just overall, um, he, he's probably either going to be in the starting lineup or he's going to be on the high end in terms of minutes. He played 39 minutes in his last game. So it's a fantastic ad, only 16% owned in Yahoo right now. So for someone that can cover nine category leagues, he's definitely someone to pick up. Um, my second pickup is going to be Wayne Ellington from the Detroit Pistons. Uh, he can play both uh, shooting guard and small forward, so that's a bonus. He's been added over 20% in the last week, uh, 40% owned in Yahoo League, so he's definitely someone that people are jumping on. Uh, he's been averaging almost 20 points a game, uh, about three rebounds per game and three assists per game. He's been fantastic. He gets about a steal per game as well. And um, his percentages are, are well over uh, 50% uh, in terms of field goal. And then um, around, um, I'd say, 80-85% in terms of the free throw line. So he, he won't hurt you too much over there. And I guess just his consistency uh, as of recently, he's been getting pretty much 30 minutes a game uh, for the Pistons, obviously, because they've had injuries um, to guys like Killian Hayes and Derrick Rose. So... Um, I guess uh, Ellington's definitely someone to add. He's, he might be added in your league already, being at 40%. But if he's there, he's definitely someone that you should be taking a look at. Um, and then one more pickup. I'll, I'll go with uh, uh, Vika Zubac from the Clippers. And um, he's also been added over 10% in the last week, 35% about in uh, Yahoo Leagues. And the reason he's been added is, uh, once again, the Clippers are dealing with their COVID situation and he's been getting prime minutes for them. And yeah, he's been playing well, too. He's been uh, averaging a double-double in his last three games. Um, he's been adding a, a couple of assists, a couple blocks here and there. And his percentages, uh, his field goal is uh, uh, over um, uh, 70%. And uh, from the free throw line, he's almost perfect. So he's definitely uh, someone looking that you should look at when adding uh, on your waiver wire. He's also ranked 82 in his season rank. So he has played well over the course of the season. So he's definitely someone to take a look at as he, as he, won't, as he won't hurt you in either of the percentages or in the turnovers category. So um, those are, those are just three pickups that I think shallow leagues uh, should be able to benefit from. And if they're available in deep leagues, they're definitely must adds for sure. Um, and then just moving uh, to the game slate this week, 
Um, as uh, some of you might know, I am a Spurs fan. So uh, my game that I'm looking at this week is the, the Friday game between the Spurs and the Nuggets. The Spurs, as of this recording, are sixth in the Western Conference. The Nuggets are fourth, and they can actually tie the Nuggets with a win here. So it's a big game for the Spurs and for Spurs fans, as well as Nuggets fans that are looking to hold off some of the teams below them um, as they have been playing very well as of late. Uh, so it's it's going to be a, a must-watch game for fans of either team and also fans of just good NBA basketball. So that's just the one game I've been keeping an eye on. But I think Nate has a lot more games than I do. So, uh, Nate, I'm going to go straight to you. Just give us some games that you're looking at this week. Sure. So I'll talk about, um, I guess, Lakers versus Celtics. So the Lakers, they just... Uh, came off a loss against the 76ers. It was a really close battle. So the Lakers were first in the West, but now they're second. And the Celtics are currently third in the East. So I think it's going to be an interesting um, high-level matchup between two top-tier te teams. These are two teams that could potentially be in the um, NBA Finals. So this could be kind of a preview of what's going to happen. So I think it'll be interesting. Oh, what day and was that, sorry? That's on Saturday. Oh, okay. Yeah. And on Monday, we have Blazers versus the Bucks. The Bucks are rank two and the Blazers are rank five. So I think any fans of Damian Lillard or the Blazers, it's going to be an interesting game. Be interesting to see how they, they do against the Bucks. And for, I guess, for Raptors fans out there, there's the Raptors versus the Magic. Um, unfortunately, the Raptors, they, they just lost, lost a game uh, against the Bucs. Uh, the Bucs just kind of pulled away. So the Raptors are still trying to get into the playoff race against the Magic. So we'll see if they can... Uh, get a win and try to get something started be in the playoff conversation and on Wednesday we have Pacers versus Bucks so these are two playoff teams so as of right now they're in the playoff race so this could be kind of a preview to the NBA playoffs so I think it'll be interesting to see how they play especially with how the Pacers have, have been playing I think the the Pacers have been, they've been doing um, really well this year. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against the Bucks. All right. Yeah. Those all look like intriguing games. I know that uh, it looks like Bucks fans have a lot to look forward to this week. There's a lot of big games for the Bucks. They just came off a big win on uh, Wednesday against the Raptors. And uh, I guess they'll be looking to uh, push forward uh, into the rest of this week. And then, um, I guess for Raptors fans like yourself, it's just a, a game to sort of rebound against Orlando and uh, hopefully the Raptors can turn it around this season. Yeah, I think they've been in kind of a slump. Um, it's kind of like their, their defense is there, but like their shooting hasn't been, they've been in, they've been getting into like droughts where they make the right plays and they take the right shots, but for some reason the shots just haven't been been getting in. So hopefully their shots will be going in against the Magic. 
Yeah, for sure. And then also, um, I think the Lakers have caught a break with this Clippers uh, COVID outbreak. I know uh, they're both uh, pretty close in the standings. So I think Lakers just need to keep following the course, getting wins uh, when they can, and just uh, continue to try and stay ahead of the Clippers. Because I know that it might be a rough road for the Clippers uh, for the next couple weeks. Yeah, I think the Clippers have it pretty tough this week with all their injured players. Yeah, uh, it might not just be this week. I think that they're going to be out for the next couple weeks, I heard. So, um, yeah, both Kawhi and Paul George. So it it is going to be tough for um, Clippers fans, you know, just to, to see this team. But hopefully they can pull out some wins. I know that they have a deep team. I've seen their roster. It's a fantastic roster. So. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that it tests uh, how deep your team is. And uh, we mentioned a lot of Clippers pickups, uh, like I did as well, like Reggie Jackson and uh, Zubak and all these other guys like that, that they do have a deep team, they they can perform and, you know, we'll just see how the Clippers do this week. Yeah, I think it's games like this where you want, you want your kind of you want to test your bench and see how they do because like when it gets to the playoffs oh yeah um especially like when your guys are banged up you're gonna be looking to your to your bench to kind of to be there when you can't be there right so yeah looking at the last two nba champions uh both the la lakers and the toronto raptors had uh, really good benches and I think that's what set them apart from the teams that they played against. I know both of the teams, both Miami and Golden State, were dealing with injuries that year. But uh, if you are dealing with injuries, if you don't have a solid bench, I think that's what separated the two champions from the two uh, teams that didn't come out on top. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the big weaknesses of trying to get really big name free agents. Like the Warriors, they had the the best i think that was like the best starting five for like a really long time and they just ended up going down and then they sacrificed their their bench yeah their bench was just not nearly as good as the raptors bench so they just couldn't keep up yeah i can definitely agree with that and um i guess looking forward to to the next couple weeks we'll see where a lot of these teams are, are sort of uh uh, shaping out to be uh, as we know the the Lakers are playing really well and that Western Conference is always tough and then as well as the East you know with how well the 76ers and the Bucks and many of the other teams there are playing we'll definitely have to see how it shakes out yeah especially hopefully the Raptors can get a win hey man I, I mean we live in Toronto man so I'm, I'm definitely pulling for you guys as well And hopefully the Spurs can keep moving up. But we're having a great season as well. Didn't expect it to be going as good as it has been. So hopefully we can keep up the pace. Yeah, I guess the Spurs have the best coaching in the league still. I mean, man, what what can we say? He's the the goat of the coaches, right? (laughs) Greg's the man. So... Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm surprised he's coaching as long as he's he's been. But, I mean, they we're only going to have him for so long, so might as well enjoy him while we have him. Yeah, he's kind of like the Belichick of the NBA. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's great. Um, and uh, thank you once again for listening to the basketball portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. Thanks, Nate, again for your time. And we'll now move to the hockey portion of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast.
Welcome to the hockey segment of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Nathan, and we're here with the hockey expert, James Kumar. Hey, what's up, man? So, so today we're going to look at some hockey pickups for the week, and then later on we're going to look at some previews for this week for NHL games. So let's start with um, forwards. So, uh, James, uh, what forwards do you have? Um, so some forwards I have that you could pick up this week, uh, taking a look at uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, and um, he, he's an intriguing pickup just because he's been put on the number one line in the Edmonton Oilers um, with Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So exposure to an elite forward like Connor McDavid is going to be crucial for him. And uh, he's played pretty well in that role. Um, he's had uh, lots of opportunities to score. He's been averaging about five shots per game since he's been moved to that line. Uh, he's averaged a couple hits per game as well. And um, he's going to get a lot of points playing on that line. So um, he's definitely someone you can look at picking up. Uh, he's only around 20% rostered right now. So you should definitely jump on him, uh, assuming that he does stay on the top line for the Oilers. Um, another forward pickup I have is Carter Verhage. I mentioned him last week, him playing on the top line, uh, with the Florida Panthers. Um, just that top end exposure has been really good for his fantasy value. Uh, he's just continued to, imp- uh, produce, um, in all the games he's played. I know a couple of his games got postponed last week, but, um, in the games that he did play, uh, he's played three games and, uh, he has, um, um, what is it like? five points in three games like he's had a a rocket start um he's a a plus four on the season um he gets about four shots per game he'll he'll throw in a hit or so um he's just been fantastic so far he's someone that needs to be picked up he's only like around five percent owned he was only like two percent owned last week so he's definitely someone that you need to hop on right away before his ownership just skyrockets um Another forward I'm going to add uh, to this is uh, Zach Hyman for Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, ever since Joe Thornton's injury, he's been put on the top line with uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, two top end forwards in the league. So he uh, he gets uh, prime opportunities to succeed being on that line. And um, I guess like the common theme for my pickups this week is like top end exposure. Uh, He's 45% owned right now. Um, His plus minus has been solid in the plus. Uh, he's chipped in some points here and there. Definitely got some shots on goal. He's gotten about two or three shots on goal per game. And he definitely throws hits. He'll get about two or three hits per game as well. So he's he's a pretty well-rounded forward. And definitely while Joe Thornton's out for the next few weeks, Zach Hyman is definitely a player to own. And then just one more forward I'll add is Alex Texier. Um He's only 8% owned, and I'm surprised because he's been the best center for Columbus this season. We we know what happened with the whole uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, uh, him getting traded to Winnipeg for Patrick Liney and Jack Roslovic. Uh, Liney won't be able to join the team uh, for about a week or so, and same with Dubois going the other way to Winnipeg. So Alex Texier is definitely someone that needs to be picked up for Columbus uh, as he's just been producing at an amazing rate. Um, he's had at least a point pretty much in every game this season. Uh, That's fantastic. And uh, his plus minus hasn't been too bad considering uh, the record of his team. So he's definitely someone to look forward to. Gets about two or three shots per game as well. And he'll throw the occasional hit. So um, I guess um, these are even deep league guys because they're 
uh, the last couple of guys I mentioned have been only what, like under 10% owned both for Hagee and uh, Texier. So uh, they're definitely forwards. You can look at in deep leagues as well. Sounds good. It looks like the players that you mentioned, they're probably going to blow up really soon. So you have to pick them up pretty quick. They're the kind of forwards that like, if I'm telling you to pick them up now, you better pick them up now before they're gone. They're like players that you like, you kind of got to be looking ahead who are going to be the guys that are going to get picked up. Uh, you got to look at, you know, where they're playing, um, how they've been producing, why are people not picking them up? Why I should get ahead of the game and try and pick them up. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. So I got, uh, a few forwards as well. Um, I'll start with Rupe Hintz. He is about 44% rostered, and he just uh, went up by 22% over the last day. Um, I think his rank is 138. Um, He can play both center and left wing, and he has one goal, four assists. He has minus one plus minus and one, one shot on goal. So he's more of a, I guess, like an assist forward. And the next forward I have is Denis Gurianov. He's 27% rostered. His rank is low right now, but his stats are pretty good. Um, I think Dallas hasn't played that many games. That's why. I think they've only played three games because of the whole COVID thing. I think that's why his rank's kind of low. Yeah. Yeah. I think his rank is going to get... Um, his rank is going to raise by a lot, probably by the end of this week or next week. Yeah, he's got, like, so far two goals. His plus minus is minus one, and he has 10 shots on goal. Well, that's and good. This is, yeah, so this is pretty good. And I think he has one PowerPoint play, power, yeah, PowerPoint play goal as well. So... I think probably by the next week, his rank's going to rise by a lot. And I have Garland again because and people haven't really been picking him up. He's about 40% rostered, so there's a good chance that he's probably still on the waiver. Um, His rank is 42, and he's rank 5 for right-wingers in the West. And he has so far two goals, four assists, three plus minus, and 21 shots on goal. So I don't think people are going to be sleeping on him anytime soon. So especially if you really need someone who can play on the wings, you should probably pick him up soon. He can play left wing and right wing. So there's some good versatility there. And uh, I guess my last forward is Nick Schmaltz. Um, His rank is just outside of the top 100. He's ranked 122. And he has three goals, two assists, one plus minus, and 16 shots on goal. For some reason, he's only 16% rostered. So, again, yeah. I think people should probably be picking him up as well. I'm pretty sure he has dual eligibility as well. He can play more than one position. Yeah, he can play center and right wing. So it's like you have versatility and good stats. Yeah, (laughs) I know. So yeah, those are like my forwards. I think a theme that we're probably going to have is 
we we got players that for some reason people keep overlooking and they're putting up really good stats. Yeah, I think that's the main thing for waiver wire is people just look for like the flashy names kind of thing and they don't really dive into like who's actually playing good. Like, uh, like you'll see like, oh, if uh, someone pops up on the waiver, like I think last week Kessel was only like 40% old. So he's the flashy name. So everyone jumped on him, but they didn't jump on a guy like Garland who was actually playing better than Kessel for Arizona. And like, you know, like stuff like that, like Kessel's the flashy name. So everyone's going to pick him up, but Garland was actually playing better. He had uh, more shots, um, more assists. He had, you know, better plus minus that kind of thing. So, yeah. If he doesn't go over 50% owned in leagues, I don't know what to say. Yeah, he's. Just, I'd say he's been Arizona's best forward this season, Garland. Yeah. And especially like um, like Nick, Nick Schmaltz, like his stats are good. Like, I don't know why he's only 16% I roster. think he's the top center right now for Arizona. Pretty sure. Yeah, so yeah. he's getting, he should be getting ice time. There's no reason that he he should be on waivers. I don't know. Uh, people should probably pick him up. Uh, probably by next week, they'll probably... I think Nick Schmaltz will be like maybe 40% owned or something. So yeah, we'll should probably... See. Yeah. Like if especially if you're in a deep league, you should probably pick him up right now. Oh, easily. He shouldn't be on the... If you're in like 14 man plus, if he's on the waiver, he's an instant pickup for sure. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about um, defensemen. So who are some defensemen that you have? Um, I have young defensemen as a common theme. I'll start with Ty Smith and the New Jersey Devils. Um, he's just had a, a great start. He's actually a rookie. Um, he, he's just uh, played really well uh, in his uh, ice time for New Jersey. Uh, some people say his minutes are sheltered. Um, I know uh, some games he's only played around 11 or 12 minutes, but I mean, he has put up good stats. I mean, this season, like uh, he's just been fantastic. He's put up assists. He's put up, you know, um, just a good uh, plus minus overall, Um, put up points on the power play, lots of shots. I think he has like 22 shots on the year and that's for a defenseman. So that's really fantastic. Got 12 hits on the year. Uh, He's just been producing quite well. Um, Ty Smith's definitely uh, someone to to add. Uh, let me just see his. Uh, sorry, let, let me let me just double check his final stats. I'm pretty sure he has one that. Oh yeah, he has a goal, five assists. Sorry, ten shots on goal, five hits. Um, sorry, I was just looking at an average, but his actual stats are um, one goal, five assists, plus five, uh, one power play point, uh, ten shots, and four hits. So he's he's been proper this year. He's been a, he's been a really good defenseman. As a rookie, um, he's been added over 20% in the last week. So being around 25% owned, he definitely needs to be picked up in leagues. I know there's a lot of defensemen that have gotten off to slow starts. Um, Ty Smith is definitely someone that needs to be picked up. He can be a top five defenseman in a 12-team fantasy league. So um, there's probably a defenseman on on one team uh, of yours that, you know, he might have gone off to a slow start. Like maybe a guy like Tony D'Angelo or, you know, another defenseman that I could name off the top of my head. Ty Smith's definitely someone to look at. Um, I'll also move to Bowen Byram. Um, he's definitely a must-add for keeper leagues as he's going to be a, a, a star defenseman in the Colorado Avalanche's future. 
Um, and this year he hasn't started off too bad. I mean, um, he's gotten seven shots on goal for the year. Um, you know, he's just uh, had a good plus minus. He's gotten some assists. So um, definitely um, he might not be a, an add in regular fantasy leagues, but deep leagues, he should be added for sure. And uh, keeper leagues, he should be added for sure as he'll be a valuable fantasy asset in the future. He's 13% rostered right now in Yahoo leagues. So if you need a fifth defenseman, like I said, he's another person that you can look at adding. And then uh, just talking one more time, I'll talk about Devon Taves. Um, he's just under 50% owned as we're recording this. And we've been talking about him for weeks and people still haven't picked him up. So go pick up this guy. Uh, he's played fantastic in his last few games. Uh, he's had about two goals, two assists, uh, three power play points, nine shots, five hits. He's, he covers categories. Like we can just say that his plus minus has been pretty good. It's been uh, about plus one or two over the last three games. So he, his plus minus is trending in the right direction. He's definitely someone to look at as well before he goes over 50% owned. And in that case, he won't be available in most leagues. So add uh, Devon Taves into your lineups. Wow. Those are some, again, those are like a lot of players that like, if you don't pick them up, like now, you're probably not going to be able to pick them up. I think he went from like, the first week we talked about him, like a 25% ownership. Then he went up to like a 30%. Now he's almost 50%. So by next week, I feel like he's going to be over 50% on the way he's been playing. He's been playing fantastic. Yeah. And so I'll talk about some of my, um, well, I'll talk about my one defenseman. So I have Justin Falk. He's 37% rostered, but his rank is 44. And he's, I think the, He's top 10 in defensemen in the West. And he has two goals, five plus minus, and he has 18 shots on goal. So that's uh, that's really good for a defenseman. So uh, again, 37% rostered. So if you need a defenseman, you should probably pick him up now. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. He's a solid defenseman. He's played pretty well for St. Louis this year. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about um, goalies. So uh, what goalies do you have on the pickup? Um, I'm going to start with uh, Capo Kakinen and uh, with Cam Talbot's injury for the Minnesota Wild, Kakinen's become their starting goalie. Um, and he's just played well in the starts that he's had. Um, this season, he has uh, two wins. He's only allowed six goals. He has a goals against average of 2.27 and a safe percentage of 0.921, which is fantastic. Those are solid numbers. Those are starter level numbers. So uh, he's only 30% owned right now. So if you need a starting goalie for the next week or so, if you're in a bind, maybe you have uh, Talbot or you have someone like Samsonov or Blackwood that might be hurt. You need a guy. Kakanin is definitely a, a good option for you to add. Um, I'll also mention Martin Jones. Uh, Martin Jones has played pretty well for the San Jose Sharks. He seems to be carving out that starter role for them. I know it was back and forth between him and Dubnik at the beginning of the season, but he he's played pretty well overall. Um, I know he's had a couple shaky games here and there, but he has three wins on five or, or so starts this season. So he has played pretty well. Um, I know his averages uh, won't wow you, um, but the fact that he's just putting up wins on a subpar team is enough for certain fantasy owners. 
Uh, he's uh, 22% rostered. So if you need some wins, uh, maybe um, his average will improve over the rest of this week and you, you should be able to get some value out of Martin Jones. Nice. So I'll talk about um, my goalies. I think a theme for some of the goalies is um, they're basically the next man up. The start starters have been out. So the goalies who are replacing them, um, they're, they're on fire this week. Like for example, the tech Vanacek, he's 37 or 31% rostered. He's rank is ranked right now as uh, 197, but he's probably going to be ranked higher. He has so far two wins and a 91.2% save rate. And my next goalie is uh, Wedgwood. He's 5% rostered. His rank is 55 right now. And he has one win and a 93.7% save rate. So for these two goalies, the starters on their teams had COVID. So while they're in uh, COVID protocol, these guys are the next man up. And they've been really holding the fort. They've been, they've been playing like as good as a start starters in my opinion. So there's a possibility that even when the starters come back, uh, depending on how well they do, they might get more minutes. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that some of them will get more starts. I think Wedgwood even had a shutout this week, so that's a bonus if you yeah. owned him. Like if you picked him up right when Blackwood went down, you would have gotten credit for that shutout. So. Yeah, I think what I guess just for the quantity of their starts, uh, you should pick up uh, the three goalies that we mentioned that had injury implications. So Kakinen, Wedgwood, and Vanacek, they're definitely the must-ads. And then Jones is more of like a deeper ad, I think, uh, for goalies. And Wedgwood's only 5% owned. That's insane. (laughs) That like He's starting right now. He should be at least 20% owned. Like even if you don't think New Jersey's a good team, he should still be at least 20% old. Yeah. Like, even though he's on New Jersey, his uh, rank in the East is 11. So he's the 11th best goalie in the East right now. Yeah, that says a lot. So um, he's definitely someone that needs to be added for sure. Yeah. I think, like, even if the starter for New Jersey comes back, like, Wedgwood is just too good to leave on the bench. They're, they're probably Jersey, be, like, taking yeah. Turns. New Jersey overall is a very defensive team anyway, so goalies usually do pretty well in their scheme. Wins is the only thing that might be questionable as they don't normally win a lot of games, but they normally don't get blown out. That's one thing I noticed about New Jersey. So um, your goalie, like your goals against average might not suffer as much uh, for a goalie from New Jersey. Like they're, they usually, the goalies won't allow more than four goals on like a loss. They, if they allow a fifth, it might be like an empty netter or something. So uh, I think most New Jersey goalies are safe. Yeah, that sounds good. Especially if you're in a deep league, you should pick this guy up right now. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Easily should be one of your three goalies in your lineup. Yeah. So those are the pickups that we have. Um, By the time this comes out, you're probably going to want to pick all of these guys up if you can. And, uh, Especially if you got guys on IR, these guys will more, do more than just hold the fort, in my opinion. Yeah, it's been a crazy year with not just injuries, but also COVID-19 as well. So, yeah, you got to add up. 
When you see these guys on the waiver, you got injuries, add up. Yep, exactly. All right, so now we're going to look at some previews for some games. So, uh, James, what's, what are some games that you're looking forward to? Um, I'll just go through one game from each division this coming week that I'm looking forward to. Um, so I'll start, um, uh, I believe, on Sunday. It's going to be Carolina against Dallas. Carolina should have their COVID protocol under control. Uh, by Sunday, so they'll be playing Dallas. I feel like that's an intriguing game with how well Dallas has started off their season and then just uh, with how good of a team Carolina has. Assuming Carolina has their full team back, this should be an exciting game and it should have a strong in, uh, implications for the, the Central Division. Um, and then looking at the North Division, Monday we have Vancouver against Montreal. We saw how intense the three games that they played last week were, and they're going to be playing again on Monday. So that's definitely a must game to must see game uh, for for this division. And uh, just to see, uh, I know Vancouver came off a big win against Ottawa. Uh, they're playing Ottawa again before this game, so we'll just see where Vancouver is and if they can find a way to best Montreal this time around. Um, and then looking at the East Division, um, we have Boston against Washington on Monday. That's going to be a great game, even uh, with all the players uh, Washington has out for COVID-19. I feel like that uh, they'll still put up a good fight against Boston as they've played really well. Um, Boston's also getting into stride, getting a lot of their injured players back. So I think it'll be an exciting matchup to watch. And then uh, looking out West at the West Division, uh, on Wednesday, we have the Vegas Golden Knights against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, everyone remembers this rivalry from the playoffs. So when these two teams meet, it's electric. These two teams don't like each other. Um, all of their matchups are usually close, even if Vegas is generally a better team than San Jose. When they face each other, it almost looks like the two teams are even and they're always ready to go for each matchup. And also, I mean, Vegas's coach is the former coach of the San Jose Sharks. So that's another... Uh, reason to to be excited about this game so i think it's definitely the must watch game of the week for the western conference or the the west division sorry yeah so i guess i just wanted to talk about uh vegas versus san jose a little bit um since the coach of the vegas golden knights is was formerly a san jose coach what do you what are you anticipating in terms of how they're gonna I guess, manip manipulate the schemes because it seems like he knows their system. Yeah, uh, one thing that I have noticed lately is Vegas has been getting the better part of San Jose um, in the season. So I guess, it, it honestly, it just comes down to whether the Sharks can play defense in this game. Uh, they just came off of a blowout um, earlier this week against Colorado. Um, San Jose's defense is in question right now. So they really just got to figure things out, see uh, what's going on with their defense. And just other than that, I think, th I think the Sharks have good coaching as well. So um, this should be a close game. I know that uh, Vegas also has taken some losses recently. So I think both teams will be trying to get back on track and it's a good way to do it is against one another. Yeah. It looks like this is going to be another, I guess I don't want to say playoff preview, but it'll be like watching the playoffs almost. Uh, yeah, playoff preview, I'm not sure with how San Jose is going to play the rest of the season. But yeah, playoff level field, definitely. You'll you'll definitely see that. These two teams clearly don't like each other. They have a rivalry, so it's always a fun game to watch. Yeah. 
and I guess I want to talk about um, Dallas versus the Hurricanes as well. Um, Dallas, I think they're off a three-game win streak right now. Um, they just came off of COVID, but they've been playing like they never got sick. So do you think they'll be able to keep their streak? Um, honestly, I, I think it comes down to how many of the Hurricanes players are healthy because they're just coming off a of COVID thing as of this these past couple of weeks. So most of their games have been canceled. I think they had some games against Florida, against Nashville that got canceled. Believe one, uh, I think they were supposed to play Tampa Bay. Uh, I can't remember which other game got postponed for them, but yeah, it's just uh, one of those things going down with the Hurricanes. And if they can return to form, I think it'll be an exciting game. Or else, I think Dallas will just keep getting that win streak going. Sounds good. And I guess for Bruins versus Capitals, these are like two top tier teams. So this is another like. I, again, I don't want to say like playoff preview, but like a playoff feel type of game, I guess. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like these two teams are always like high up in the standings. Like I, I believe they're the top two teams in their division right now as we speak. So um, Washington, like they've just been playing amazing, even with all these players out for COVID. Boston's had David Pasternak out from uh the start of this season and also losing all the players in the off season, they've still played really well. So I think it's just going to come down to, you know, which team goes in more prepared, but I think it's going to be an intense battle all the way through. Yeah. And I guess, what do you feel? How do you feel about Montreal versus Vancouver? And uh, what do you, how do you think is that's going to, I guess, shape the division going forward? Uh, Montreal is looking one of the, like one of the higher tier teams in this division and Vancouver is looking to turn around their misfortunes to start the year. These two teams don't like each other after some of the events that have happened in the, the first three games, especially with that Tyler Myers hit. Um, there's been a lot of fights. There's been, it's been very intense. There's been a lot of goal scoring too. So I think the goal scoring might come down a little bit from the start of the season. Um, it's one of those things to keep an eye on, but it, it'll definitely be just as intense for sure. Yeah, it's, I think these are like, it's like, an, it's like a preview of what the playoffs are going to feel like, not necessarily that they're going to, all these teams are going to be in the playoffs, but it's going to feel like, it's going to feel like this, it's the playoffs. I feel like that with the way they set up this season, where you'll, where you play a, a team like two or three times in a row that already establishes sort of a playoff feel. Cause it's almost like you're playing them in a series. So I feel like this whole season we'll be talking about that, like how these matchups feel intense, how they feel like the playoffs. I think that that contributes to it. Like playing a team so many times over and over just feels like playoffs. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of the coaches and a lot of the players, they're going to reach really deep into their into their bag. They're going to pull out, pull out some, I guess, play some tricks that we haven't seen before. And like the the mind games are going to be like really deep. So if you like watching that kind of stuff, it's going to be really intense. Yeah. I feel like Vancouver needs to come up with something because they haven't been able to do much against Montreal. Like I know they won one game in a shootout, but Montreal walked out of there with five out of a possible six points. And that was in Vancouver. So Vancouver was the home game, home team for three games straight. And they allowed Montreal to leave with five out of six possible points. So Vancouver really needs some sort of scheme or something to turn this season around. And the perfect time to do that is against Montreal. Yeah, they're going to be really uh, digging deep. We'll see if they can catch Montreal by surprise. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens because, I mean, as a Leafs fan, I'm hoping that Montreal takes some losses here. The Leafs got to stay near the top. They've been playing well, but they're going to need some help to, to get into first. So uh, hopefully Vancouver can do their job. Then the Leafs will get right back into first place. Well, I guess it's a win-win. Vancouver is happy. The Leafs are happy. There we go. <laughs> All right. So that just about covers the hockey segment of the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. And uh, tune in next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just before we leave, I want to update everyone on the standings for the uh, hockey pool for the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. Uh, so as I take a look right now, our current leader is drum roll, please. <laughs> Our current leader is plan the parade and that's me. So as of right now, I have a five point lead on the second place team. Um, in the top five uh, is about three or four of us from the, the podcast. And then uh, the rest is filled out by the listeners of the podcast. So um, we'll have a link below in the description. So you can take a look at the, the standings. Uh, I believe the standings update every five minutes uh, when live games are going on. So you can always stay up to date with who's ahead in the, um, the standings. And yeah, hopefully, I mean, if it's me, you'll just interview me like usual, but hopefully we can get someone else out here. Come on guys. You got to catch up. Yeah. Hopefully the listeners can catch up. It'd be interesting if we can interview one of them. But then, I mean, if I don't win, then people won't call me a hockey expert, right? So oh yeah, there's, your, your so there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pressure here, okay? So, I mean, I, I think I am ahead because I know McDavid had a big game recently. Mitch Marner did as well. Um, Leon Dreisaitl has been fantastic. Austin Matthews, a lot of the players on, on my slate definitely have been playing well so that's just the name of the game you got to get the guys that get all the points and i've done that so far so we'll see how the rest of the season shapes up we'll we'll definitely update next week on the podcast yeah next we'll tell you about the pools and some more pickups next week for sure yeah for sure all right welcome to the fantasy fanatics injury report i'm joined once again by sheridan college at student victoria kumar welcome hi uh, let's just dive right into injuries. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the Super Bowl injuries uh, next week when we have more updates uh, towards the Super Bowl about you know who's going to play between guys like Sammy Watkins and Antonio Brown. Um, but just going straight to the NBA, um, yeah, we'll start with the NBA. Uh, what about Larry Nance Jr.? Yeah, so Larry Nance Jr. sustained a right wrist sprain as confirmed by an MRI. He most likely sustained this in Sunday's game as he was out completely on Tuesday. We obviously don't know the severity of this injury as they haven't really brought out a lot on it. So we're going to need to watch him over the next few days, but I do not anticipate him playing for the rest of this week. Most likely we're going to see him into next week if it's not something super severe. Um, and then uh, what about George Hill? Yeah, so George Hill sustained a thumb sprain in Sunday's game, and he's been out ever since. The x-rays came back negative, so nothing's broken. 
but he mentioned that he had trouble gripping the ball and that was mainly his only challenge with this sprain. Because of this description, it kind of lets me know what's going on. Most likely, uh, he has uh, sprained his ulnar collateral ligament of his metacarpal phalangeal joint. Uh, the UCL kind of keeps the thumb stable so you can pinch and grab things. So if you have injured this ulnar collateral ligament, you will have trouble gripping the basketball. Most likely, in, he injured this either by falling on his hand and, you, you know, when you fall, you use your hand to brace yourself for the fall, mm, possibly yeah. something like that. Or let's say during a scramble, his thumb got kind of pulled away from the rest of his fingers. Mm -hmm. That could be something that could have caused it as well. If very minor, he's going to be back in a couple weeks. Uh, but if it's something that's a little bit more major, he'll we'll, we'll most likely see him at more of like, so for example, if it's a second degree sprain with lots of fiber tearing, it's going to be a much longer recovery. We may not see him for six weeks. So all I'd say is keep watching the reports because the only thing he mentioned was, oh, I have a little bit of trouble gripping the ball. It seems that it's going to be like of a first degree nature. So he should be back uh, by next week, most likely probably later in the week though. All right, um, let's take a look at D'Angelo Russell. What's going on with him? Yeah, so he suffered a right quad contusion that kept him out of Monday's game and now Wednesday as well. This occurred in Friday on Friday when he collided with another player in the middle of the court. Um, he played through it that game, but then he had a, ga a game's rest on Saturday and he noticed that it swelled up quite a bit during this time of rest. Um, and so now it's going to be keeping him out. Uh, keep watching him because if his quad keeps him out much longer, it might be something more of a second degree green nature but if he comes back by the rest by the end of this weekend or by early next week then obviously it's something pretty minor um so all i'd say is just keep watching him all right um and then also taking a look at ogn and ob what's his injury yeah, so he was ruled out of Wednesday night's game due to a left calf strain. We do not have much on this injury, but hopefully it's only a first degree strain. If so, he'll be back by next week. So just keep checking those reports. And then uh, what about Devin Booker? So he has a left hamstring strain and he will miss Wednesday's game. And now this is his second straight game that he's missed. He should be back by the latest Saturday. So it seems that this is not something that is super severe. All right. What about Jarrett Culver? Yeah, so Jarrett Culver sprained his left ankle. He suffered this on Monday, and he was also ruled out of Wednesday's game, so he did not play on Wednesday. We do not have much more on the severity. He's kind of labeled as day-to-day, -day, so unless they announce something um, saying that it came out, you know, let's say an MRI saying it was more severe, he should be back by the weekend or early to mid next of next week. All right, uh, what about Christian Wood? Yeah, so he sustained a right ankle sprain and hasn't played since January 20th, but he's now ready to go and he's going to play on Thursday. So I would say put him in your lineup then. All right. Uh, what about Robert Covington? So Robert name? Covington sustained a concussion most likely in Sunday's game and he's going through that concussion protocol at the moment. So he will not play on Thursday for sure as he's still going to be within that protocol. Uh, but most likely he will be back on Saturday um, or soon after that. Um, what about Wendell Carter Jr.? Like how severe is his injury? So he has a pretty severe right quad contusion. They confirmed this with an MRI. So most likely we're looking at a second degree contusion where there's lots of fiber uh, tissue damage. Um, so he's going to be out for the next three to four weeks. Um, so I'd put him on your IR for now. 
All right. Uh, what about Karis Lovert? Uh, I think this is an update from last week. Yeah. So last week I mentioned that when he got traded to the Pacers, he they found during his physical that there was a um, a mass that they found on his left kidney. So just an update on that mass. They did deem it as a renal car- cell carcinoma, which is cancerous in nature. Um, so this is kidney cancer. It actually originates in the lining of your proximal convoluted tubercles. So that's uh, the, what transports the urine from your kidney, that tubercle. Uh, so because of this, he had to have surgery. He had surgery on Monday. So he'll probably be out approximately the next three to six weeks. Again, they didn't say, but that's normally what recovery time is for a kidney surgery is about three to six weeks. All right. Um, and then uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, why was he out from these last games? Yeah, so Donovan Mitchell has entered into a concussion protocol as he began to feel symptoms on Wednesday morning following Tuesday's game. He'll likely be out for the next week, so I'd keep an eye on him. He will probably be back late next week if it's not as a severe concussion, and then more if it is more severe. All right, and then what about some of the COVID situations going on in the NBA? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, uh, Dara Sarek from Phoenix Suns. So he's been out since January 18th on, and on the COVID list. He could return as early as Saturday's game. They mentioned that he needs to get his conditioning up. So this is going to be really his only challenge. Uh, the Sloan tells us that he may have had symptoms of COVID-19. So if he's not ready by Saturday, then we will probably see him early next week as it seems he's been cleared. Uh, Moving on to Damian Jones, also from Phoenix. He was put on the COVID list on January 21st and has not played since. We don't have a return date for him. So obviously this means that he has not been cleared yet. Um, And finally, our last two are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George from the Clippers. They were put on the COVID list on Monday. The team expects them back soon. So it's possible this was only a close contact type of situation. Yeah, the team's about to go on a six-game road trip, um, and they said that they are going to miss the first four games for sure, but hoping they'll be cleared by the last two, and then they'll make the flight out and make it for the last two games. So just kind of keep an eye on them and see if they get cleared for these two final road trip games. All right, that that sounds good. And um, uh, just some updates on some NHL injuries. We'll start with uh, Pavel Francouz. Yeah, so Favel Francois, as I mentioned last podcast, was out with a lower body injury. He has not yet played this season as he's sustained this in practice prior to any possible games he could have played. He isn't expected to return in the near future, so most likely this is a more severe lower body injury. This could be something like a second degree sprain to any ligaments, second degree tear to any muscles, that kind of thing. Um, Another update I have is on uh, Matt Greslick. So last Monday, Greslick was out with an injury that occurred during an awkward fall in the game. He has not played since. He practiced on Tuesday, but this was kind of a late scratch right before the game as he didn't end up playing. Um, This indicates he's most likely, though he is close to playing if he was a possibility. Um, And he practiced on Wednesday, so this tells us he's probably ready to go by Thursday night. Um, and then my last update is uh, David Pasternak. So he's just another quick update. I've been giving kind of week to week updates on him. He's now wearing a regular practice jersey in practice. So this means he is good for full contact. He's been cleared. Um, this may even be a ready to, he may be even ready to go by this weekend. We do not know, uh, but his first contact day was only on Monday. So for the severe injury that he's gone through, we may not see him until early to mid next week, but obviously that alone is a good sign um, as he's progressing much quicker than was anticipated. 
Um, just uh, stepping back a little bit, back to Pavel France. So I think for goalies, if it's a lower body injury, do you think it might be like some groin issue? It could be. Is that possible? It's possible it's a second degree groin injury, like I mentioned. So it could be a second degree tear to any of his muscles. Um, I don't really know because they haven't really given much information. That's kind of what happens with the NHL. They're not like basketball or basketball. They like clearly tell you what's going on with each of the players. And from there, you can kind of say, well, if it's a first degree, he's going to be out this long. If it's a second degree, he's going to be out this long and that kind of thing. With hockey, they don't really give this information. And because of that, I have no idea. I guess because of the nature of the sport being contact, they don't always want to release the information because exactly. the person could get hit in that area by a, another player on another team. So I yeah, think that exactly. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, stepping to some new injuries, what about Jamie Ben? Yeah, so Jamie Ben has been labeled uh, a lower body injury. Like I just mentioned with hockey, sometimes they're very vague about it. But with him, I actually got to see the injury. And some of the reports were saying it was a knee injury after seeing the nature of the hit. So what kind of happened was he had a collision with Victor Arvidsson when they played Nashville Predators. Um, This was during their season opener on Friday. Um, You can see Victor collide with Jamie Benn. Uh, into his lower leg and he kind of goes into this hyperextended knee position this injury could obviously be a number of different things so obviously there's concern for the ACL ligament as when you bring the uh, lower leg bone the t- uh, tibia forward on the femur you can get some strain of that ACL yeah. as well it could be something like his popliteal ligament which is at the back of his knee um, so it could be something like that uh, when you go into hyperextension this ligament gets stressed um, it could also be something like a hamstring strain, you know, because when you go into knee hyperextension, your hamstrings cross over the back of your kneecap. So it could have been uh, strained those as well. Um, he did not play Tuesday night, however, and their next game is Thursday. Uh, to be honest, he may not play until he's had a full practice because he hasn't had one yet. He's only just skated. Um, once we see that he's had a full practice, then we can start seeing him in games. Um, so again, like I said, I don't anticipate him Thursday, even though some reports are saying he might be back possibly Saturday seems like a more likely option. Yeah. I, I also know that uh, the Washington capitals have been dealing with a lot of injuries. Well, not just injuries, COVID situations as well. Uh, What about Tom Wilson? What's his situation? Yeah. So Tom Wilson sustained a lower body injury on Friday's game. He mentioned that this injury, like they, again, very vague on these injuries, but they kind of did a press interview with him. Tom Wilson himself mentioned this injury was not sustained in any kind of awkward fall or any kind of hit during the game. Um, He also said that you can't, by watching footage, you can't point out when exactly he got this injury. He said it's something he's also never had before in his hockey career. And he said it was kind of like an unlucky thing that happened during a shift. Um, He also said this injury is specific to hockey using kind of these clues a lot of people would probably think it's something like a groin or hip uh, flexor injury which is commonly seen in hockey but it kind of seems weird that as a hockey player he's never had a groin injury or never had a hip flexor injury so that kind of tells me it may not be one of those two Um, it could be something like a quad strain or a hamstring strain uh, because he said it's specific to hockey and those are sometimes what you get in hockey, but they're le- a little bit less common. Irregardless, it sounds like some kind of strain because he got it during a non-contact moment. Um, to be honest, he should be back by this weekend. As he says, he's been practicing all week. So um, I don't anticipate he's going to be out much longer. All right. Um, what about role pay hints? Yeah, so he's out with a lower body injury and the team has kind of labeled him day to day. He did not play on Tuesday and nothing else has been released on him. 
by this day-to-day timeline, we should see him back by either Thursday, which is this next game, or Saturday. Of course, uh, we're going to have to see uh, what's going on. Yeah, because I know uh, Nate featured him in his hockey pickups, and Hints did get off to a good start, so hopefully we'll see him uh, later this week. Um, Mm -hmm. Just uh, going back to the Washington Capitals and Nicholas Backstrom, I know he left his uh, last game. Uh, What happened there? Yeah, so Nicholas Bastrom on Tuesday night sustained an injury late in the first period. He got hit in the face with a dump in puck. So he came back for part of the game, but he had like a huge bruise on his face. Um, and he's currently labeled as day-to-day. We don't know how this will affect him, but obviously they're going to check if he has a facial pr- fracture. Probably when he went into the back, they kind of just felt, but did not do an x-ray. So that might be something that he's going to do this week. If he doesn't have a facial fracture, they're actually probably going to play him on Thursday and they'll just put a full face shield on him so he doesn't get a hit again. Because as we know, there's a few players out um, who disobeyed the COVID rules. So they actually kind of need him. Um, yeah. So I actually do think he's going to play on Thursday. I'm actually surprised they won their last game without Wilson and Backstrom as well I guess as all that, of the other guys. Yeah, I guess that kind of tells you that they're a really good team because another person that was out was Lars Eller. Um, he was put out as well during the game. Uh, I, I found that out as I was taking a look at uh, everything regarding the Capitals and Nicholas mm-hmm. Backstrom. So even they were without Lars Eller. So it seems they were out with quite a few players. Yeah, that's their top three centers right there. Mm-hmm. And then just moving to Tampa Bay, what's what's it looking like for Eric Chernak? Yeah, so he was driven hard into the boards by Nick Foligno, and he lost an edge one play later when they played the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, and then when he lost that edge, he kind of slammed into the wall. He's now labeled with an upper body injury, and he's currently day-to-day. Because of the postponing of Tuesday's game, where they got postponed the Carolina Hurricanes and Tampa Bay Lightning game, um, he kind of had more time to rest up, so he might actually be ready to play on Thursday. We just need to watch him, if not by the weekend. All right. And then um, looking at Cam Talbot, what was his injury? Yeah, so he has a lower body injury. He sustained this in Friday's game against San Jose. He's only labeled day-to-day and has now missed two games, though, since then. Um, he's also going to miss Thursday's game as he's already been ruled out. So keep in mind, there have been no reports uh, that he's even back to skating. Once we start to see him skating and back in practice, then we can anticipate games. So we probably won't play to the middle of next week at the earliest. All right, and I guess that's why I featured uh, Capo Kakinen in the hockey pickups because he's going to be the starter for Minnesota going forward until we see Cam Talbot back. So Kakinen's definitely one of the main guys that needs to be picked up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just looking at the COVID situations going around, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, what are we looking at with him in terms of a timeline? Yeah, so he was put into the COVID-19 list about a week ago and he still hasn't been cleared. This may indicate a positive test result. We'll just need to keep watching him. So for now, just keep him out of your lineup. Um, other COVID people would be like uh, Adam uh, Bokovisk and Alex uh, Deprecat, I think is how you pronounce Debrinkat, his name. Yeah. Deprecat, yeah. Deprecat, yeah. So they're both from the Blackhawks and they've both been put on the COVID list and they're expected to miss two weeks. This kind of tells us that they probably both tested positive if they have already announced they're going to miss this much time. So I'd keep them out of your lineup now for the next couple of weeks. Um, And then I just kind of wanted to do a last update on the Carolina Hurricanes and their COVID situation. Um, So they postponed Tuesday's game as they still had many players out with COVID-19. They instead now look to play Tampa Bay on Thursday. So hopefully uh, they will be ready to go. And they've actually finally come back to start practicing. So it seems that Thursday's game is a for sure go ahead. 
Um, just a question with Dabrinkin and Boquist. I know that they were in the game on Sunday. Uh, was it immediately after that they were placed on the COVID list? Do you remember what day they were placed on the COVID list? Is it, is it uh, not exactly? Oh. I can't remember what it was sometime this week. So it seems though that they were positive. Um, it didn't, they didn't okay. label any other players as being on the COVID list. So I don't know if uh, that just means that they weren't in close enough contact with them or they tested everybody and they were fine. I'm actually not sure, uh, but they mentioned with those two, they will for sure expect to miss two weeks. So that okay. kind of already tells you that they were most likely positive. All right. Um, well, I guess that wraps up most of the injuries around uh, sports. Uh, Victoria, thank you for your time. No problem. And once again, uh, thank you for listening to the Fantasy Fanatics podcast. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts under Fantasy Fanatics Podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook at Fantasy Fanatics Podcast and on Instagram at Podcast Fantasy Fanatics. Also, the link, uh, once again, for our hockey pool uh, is down below. You can view uh, the standings, uh, who's winning, and so on. And uh, thanks for listening and tune in next week for our next episode.